Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the Colorado Energy Leaders Podcast. Today, I'm excited to welcome Doug Campbell, the CEO and co-founder of Solid Power. Doug, welcome to the podcast. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited to have you here because I have some really struggles in my life, I guess, with the philosophy of batteries. <laughs> and we're going to get there today. That's what we're going to do. Yeah. But before we dive in, tell us about yourself and your company. Who are you? What is Solid Power? And, and what do you do? Yeah, absolutely. So um, Solid Power is a, a Louisville, Colorado-based uh, uh, provider of um, all-solid-state batteries. Um, and uh, all-solid-state batteries have generated a significant amount of interest, really from all mobile power applications, but um, vehicle electrification in particular. And it's primarily due to their uh, significant potential for providing uh, uh, substantially higher energy. Uh, as well as safety in comparison uh, to uh, today's lithium ion. So we're really one of the uh, one of the industry leaders and, uh, you know, relevant to your audience. We are uh, Colorado born and bred. So originally spun out of the University of Colorado um, and we've 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 called Colorado home ever since our uh, founding. And were you always involved in energy on your website? It says you're kind of a serial CEO. I don't know what that means. <laughs> But I do want to know, like, where did you get involved in energy? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, no, I'm not an energy storage guy, you know, sort of by, by training. Um, I got into the energy storage industry uh, about a decade, a little over a decade ago. Um, and, and really, I, I joined another Colorado small business where um, uh, essentially I inherited a small group doing uh, advanced uh, battery research. And again, I, you know, could, couldn't even spell battery back then, uh, but quickly, you know, got myself up to speed and, and got, got myself pretty well uh, educated uh, in uh, really markets for batteries. Again, I don't claim to be some, you know, uh, genius electrochemist, um, certainly not. Um, but I, you know, today, you know, pretty, pretty insightful into the energy storage industry. But, um, but yeah, my background is more, uh, I'm an aerospace engineer by training. Um, and uh, really, I'm an entrepreneur. So, you know, what, what you read is, is true. Although I think instead of it saying serial, uh, someone coined the term for me parallel entrepreneur, uh, which is uh, not commonly used. And, and the reason why this colleague coined that term is, I actually founded two companies at the exact same time, Solid Power being the one we're discussing now, uh, but also uh, a company called Rocor, which is based in Longmont and is a leading provider of satellite components into the small satellite industry. I am an engineer as well. And for me, I found your history on this very interesting because the idea of being an entrepreneur or starting my own company scares me to death. I don't ever want to do it. I don't understand how one does it. Like, I, I figure you have to give up eating or something for a while. I don't know. <laughs> how did you transition to becoming an entrepreneur from being an engineer? And what does that look like? Well, yeah, certainly it didn't happen overnight. And, and first and foremost, I didn't become an entrepreneur until I had a lot of confidence in, in the tools that I needed to survive as an entrepreneur. And, and that real key tool was, um, you know, not only understanding you know, the, the market that I was focused on, uh, but also understanding uh, access to capital, uh, because obviously great ideas are nothing without without capital behind it and a, and, a, and a plan, an executable plan. And so my transition to becoming an entrepreneur happened, you know, really over about a decade um, where I slowly transitioned from, 
actually being a, you know, turn the crank engineer into really business development. Uh, I really, I really developed a very good understanding of how to raise money, especially out of the federal government um, through a variety of different, uh, you know, grants and contracting agencies. Um, and so it was really that toolkit is what gave me the confidence to, to step out on my own. Um, you know, I'd raised money before. Uh, it, it was non-equity based, so it wasn't like I was pitching to, to venture capitalists. That's something I've learned more recently. Um, and yeah, that's and really both companies owe their their existence to those kinds of funding sources. That's how we got both of them off the ground. According to your website, it says that Solid Power raised twenty million dollars in, I guess it's called Round A funding from yep. like. I don't know how you get in the room with those people. Like they don't <laughs> attend my parties. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I just, yeah, you mentioned that it's like the ability to start a company is related to this capital exactly. or this venture capital. How do you how do you get in those rooms? Like what's the yeah. what's the password? Well, first of all, that's the other source of capital and and certainly when I started Solid Power, I did not have a track record of raising money from from venture capitalists. But at the end of the day, raising money is raising money. Um, you've got, you've got, a you know, the, the person with the, with the pocketbook and you need to understand, you know, why they would put money into you, what, what they need in return. Um, because stakeholders for, for non-dilutive capital aren't, aren't like venture capitalists. They're not looking for an investment rate of return. They're looking for something else. Uh, and that something else can span a lot of things. Um, and so, you know, how you get access to, to groups um, like, you know, venture capital is, is through a lot of networking, um, both within their um, ecosystem, uh, but also within your ecosystem. And what I mean by that is, is uh, you know, venture capitalists will also decide that there are various sectors that they want to make an investment in. So let's say in this case, um, you know, anything having to do with vehicle electrification and, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll tend to show up at various conferences, expos, that sort of thing. And you just really need to get, get really adept at, at identifying those folks and interfacing and, and ultimately speaking their language. Well, that explains it. I'm an introvert. I never want to talk <laughs> to people at conferences. Yeah. You, so you, got it. Yeah. You got, you got to be, you got to, got to do outreach. All right. So now that we get, now that we have kind of some of the background out of the way, um, firstly, you're a very popular guy. You do quite a bit of interviews uh, in researching this episode. I found several online and I want to say you are a great person to interview and it's obviously obvious that you're very comfortable being interviewed and to no fault of your own though, many of those interviews were a tad repetitious for me. Yep. So <laughs> in order that we can get into the questions I want to ask, I want to just quickly run through over like 30 seconds, the things I learned from other interviews. Okay. You can correct me and then we'll be, we'll be done with that. Yeah. Absolutely. You'll never have to do another interview because this is what it is. <laughs> All right, so Solid Power was founded in 2012, and it was spun out of the University of Colorado in Boulder in 2014. It specializes in all solid-state batteries, and for people who don't know, because I'm not a battery chemist, a battery has metals inside of it that have a chemical reaction when you apply a charge and then provide a charge when they do the reverse chemical reaction. In between those metals are some sort of electrolyte that can basically transfer the ions. In the case of lithium-ion batteries, that ion is lithium. Most batteries in use today use a liquid electrolyte. Your technology uses a solid electrolyte. Uh, I read somewhere that ceramics were really in, really hip right now. 
But the only important thing that I want to drive home about solid state batteries is that one, they have a higher energy to weight ratio. I've seen some numbers quoting like 50% increase. So if you have an electric car with 300 miles range, you get a solid state battery that has 450 mile range. Two, they're safer because when you charge them, you have less thermal issues. So uh, everyone probably is aware of Samsung's exploding note. This is because the electrolyte is flammable. With solid state batteries, you don't have that problem. And three, um, they are difficult to produce, which essentially means solid power. One of its major innovation is having a stable production line. There have been solid state batteries before, but they're really small. You're scaling them up. Did I miss anything? What, what, what am I missing? Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> Great. We're done. Done with that part of the interview. <laughs> All right. No, so I wanted to phrase that because on the one hand, I'm not trying to be reductive about what y'all are doing. You're doing yeah, yeah. incredible work. Uh, but I want to get to why we need this technology. So I want to ask you two questions that are kind of like lightning round questions and then ask you to start diving into the purpose of this technology. Mm -hmm. One, do you consider yourself an environmentalist? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, you know, a key part of coming into the office every day is being excited about really our mission. And um, I see, you know, an, uh, electrifying our transportation as a, as a key part of, you know, reducing our society's carbon footprint. So, uh, you know, as much as I applaud Elon Musk and his mission to go to Mars, I don't want to go to Mars. Mars doesn't look that exciting to me. Uh, so we need to take care of our home planet. I think Elon Musk is like the biggest frat bro in existence. <laughs> so we are going to get to him because I yeah. have some special words for him. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. anyway, second question. Are batteries like yours necessary to an economy-wide clean energy transition? Yeah, of course. I mean, that, that, that really segues from you know, my previous response, which is um, if you're going to remove the fuel source, you need something that stores and release, releases energy. And an electrochemical device is the most practical form to be used in, in, in an automobile. So absolutely, uh, batteries are, are front and center when it comes to a, to, a, to a clean energy, clean transportation of the future. Okay. So now that we've kind of got that underlying framework to build the rest of it on, I would like you first to paint a vision of the future with your technology. So the year is 2035, you've met all your goals that you have for yourself in the next 15 years. Your technology is widely available, cost-effective, people are using it left and right. What does that world look like? Widespread usage of, of you know, electric mobility is, is what it really comes down to. So, you know, our, you know, the main pain point that, that we're really addressing is the performance and cost of electric vehicles, which, you know, if you drill down into that problem, you're, you're going to immediately drill into the battery, so to speak. Um, the battery is, is, is far and away how you address that. And so, um, you know, by making a more energy dense battery, obviously that, that can enable uh, improved performance, such as increased range. And then doing it in a manner that's incredibly cost effective that continues this downward cost pressure on the cost of of battery systems is what will really allow for truly cost effective electric vehicles, which arguably we kind of have, kind of don't. I think it's fair to say most EVs are are luxury vehicles. Uh, that's great for early adopters, but that's that's not acceptable for for mass adoption. You know, we need to see more offerings out there. Um, you know, that aren't necessarily funky looking, 
um, you know, a little bit more normal looking and, and, and really with broad appeal. And that's, that's precisely the, what, what we, we believe we're enabling. When I talk to people who promote EVs, it sounds like what they want to do is make it so that someone who has a gas vehicle steps out of their gas vehicle and steps into an electric vehicle and either doesn't notice a difference or any differences they notice are for the better. It's more fun to drive, it's less expensive. Do you think that's kind of a, a concise way to say what your goal is with a better battery? To a degree, uh, although I would say that statement's a bit of a cop-out. Um, forcing, you know, so we as a society have been, have gotten comfortable with the gas combustion engine, um, you know, over the last whatever, 75, 80 years. Um, and so I think it's a bit unfair to say, you know, whatever replaces that has to be, you know, literally a drop in replacement for one's behaviors, lifestyles, et cetera. You know, one of the challenges that all batteries face is, is quick charge. I mean, you, you, you fill up a tank, you know, t filling up a tank of gas takes a matter of minutes. Um, if you've got a really large battery system, it, it, frankly, it's going to be very, very challenging. But one of the key differences uh, from an EV and a, and, a, and, a, and a gas combustion engine is that you've got a fuel source at home. Um, and so the concept of, of sort of overnight charging, I mean, I would argue even some of these EVs with some of the shortest ranges, you know, less than 100 miles. I mean, that covers, I don't know, what, 90, 95 percent of everyone's um, uh, driving behaviors. Uh, I mean, to me that and then the benefits it comes with, not just a clean energy, even if you're not a clean energy guy, even if you're really a cost and performance guy. I'm sorry, but an EV's, you know, an EV is gonna is gonna beat a gas combustion engine any day of the week, because I mean, performance-wise, when you talk about acceleration, they're vastly superior, uh, because you know, moving moving electrons is a heck of a lot easy and a lot more efficient than it is to combust a combust a uh, a liquid into a gas, you know, turn a uh, push a piston, turn some some uh, cams, etc. Um, and then the other thing is just total cost of ownership. The, the big thing that a lot of consumers I don't think realize is how cheap it is to own an EV. Um, you've got largely a maintenance-free. You got to change some tires, change some wiper blades, you know, fill up your wiper fluid, and you're you're kind of good to go. Do you own an EV? I'll just ask that. It's kind of a fun question. You know, I don't. Uh, oh, okay. the, re the reason I don't own own an EV is simply due to the lengthy life cycle uh, of, of cars. So my next car absolutely will be an EV. When I get to the point where I'm ready to replace a car, it absolutely will be an EV. Well, I certainly hope it's an EV with your battery technology in it. I am waiting for that <laughs> to get here. So I'm excited for it. Yeah. Uh, Cause your battery technology is great. I want to like start with that is great. So I have a couple more questions about EVs and batteries, but one of the things that is interesting about your company is that it comes from research performed at a public university. Mm -hmm. So I had kind of a quote that I wanted to share from Elizabeth Warren, blessed be her name, one of my favorite people. Um, and I think she's just lovely. Uh, but there is this really great quote that I love. And she says, there is nobody in this country who got rich on his own. Nobody. You built a factory out there. Good for you. But I want to be clear. You moved your goods to market on the roads the rest of us paid for. You hired workers the rest of us paid to educate. You were safe in your factory because of the police forces and fire forces that the rest of us paid for. You didn't have to worry that your that marauding bands would come and seize everything at your factory. Now look, you built a factory and it turned into something great. Terrific or a great idea. God bless. Keep a big hunk of it. 
But part of the underlying social contract is that you take a hunk, a hunk of that and pay forward the next kid who comes along. I really love that quote because I think there are a lot of people who feel like government spending is wasted in this country. As a company that came out of public funded university, what is the value to you? If you had to kind of defend why it is valuable for the government to be investing in research like this, what would you say to them? And most importantly, how would you improve that process? How would you make it easier for research being done to transition into benefits for society? Yeah, well, I guess let me, I'll comment first on the Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren. I assume that was a direct quote um, that, yeah. that, you, that you shared. I, I agree with that to a degree. Uh, absolutely. Without, without the infrastructure and society and ecosystem that the United States and generations of taxpayers have created, um, innovative companies like Solid Power would not exist. Now, to then say that there's some sort of you know, I, I don't know what she meant by direct payback. If there's a, you know, literally, you know, handing equity over, which in our case we did to University of Colorado. University of Colorado is an equity holder in the company. I, I, I'm not quite sure where she was going with that, but the way I look at it is this. Yeah, um, and sorry, I'll just add something. Just to yeah. be clear, I'm not trying to lock you into a tax policy. Not no, trying no, no, to do no, that. No, 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 no. <laughs> but let me let me let me put it this way. Yeah, go we, ahead. In in addition to pulling. Uh, some technology out that absolutely was was funded by um, uh, public taxpayer money. In this case, DARPA. DARPA is who funded that research at the University of Colorado. In addition uh, to that, as I said before, the early stages of the company were indeed funded not by the private sector, but by the public sector. Um, using grants and contracts from Department of Energy, such as RPE, Department of Defense, Etc. And I, I personally never forget that. So I view us, us, Solid Power, and, and me personally as the leader of Solid Power as absolutely having a responsibility to um, U.S. taxpayers uh, really to give back. And, and, and the, when I say give back, I mean in the form of a, uh, a viable healthy business that provides excellent employment, you know, to professionals um, and provides their career growth and then hopefully serves as a training ground to the next generation of, of entrepreneurs. I mean, I hope, you know, we have roughly about 60 people in here. I hope 20 years from now that some of these guys, they, they see the lessons learned from solid power and they take those and apply it in their own sort of business endeavors. I'd be immensely proud of that. And that, frankly speaking, that gives back because um, you were providing great jobs who are themselves paying, t uh, paying taxes. But perhaps more importantly, we are ensuring that our nation remains at the forefront of, of technology innovation, which, frankly speaking, is something that I'm concerned about. I'm concerned that that we we as a society are investing less in, in what I call hard tech batteries are front and center. I don't know if there's anything harder than batteries, maybe fusion energy. That's pretty hard. Um, but it's, it's, it's worthy and, and it's, it's, it's akin to saying, why should the United States uh, spend money to do space exploration? Because there, there's an element where capitalist markets just won't do it, but we as a society need to do, I, I believe very strongly that we should learn more about our universe, 
Um, and I believe very strongly that we should um, we should be looking to make our um, you know manufacturing, transportation, et cetera, cleaner, um, so that we can reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And I, I I just don't see the private sector doing that simply off of a profit incentive. It takes a little bit of a nudge um, from the public sector. But of course, that can go too far. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I will not get into the larger debate around yeah. that. And I understand that Elizabeth Warren is a polarizing figure in some ways, in some communities. But I really love that quote because I wanted to invite you to, you know, your company is valuable. It raised $20 million in venture capital. Just invite you to share how you view in either a positive or negative light that linkage between the investment from public funds to the creation of your company. I did want to go back, I guess. Are the, do you have any tips of how that could be improved, how uh, public funds could be better leveraged through universities and research institutions to lead us to kind of companies like yours that are commercializing important technologies? You know, I'm, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm not really in, in a position where I can comment on the public funding going into uh, our nation's university system. Obviously, I'm a huge proponent and, and, and not just in our university systems, but also in our federal laboratories. I mean, it's just just fantastic research. And frankly speaking, I believe very strongly that is the foundation for which uh, the United States, you know, maintains its competitive edge. It comes out of those research institutions. But I personally have not been on the front lines of, you know, precisely, you know, the source of that funding and how it's deployed, et cetera. But at least from the outside looking in, uh, I, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I, and I think it's somewhat unique here in the United States. What I can comment about is, you know, public financing in, in you know, privately held companies such as such as solid power. And it's 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 a balancing act. Uh, again, solid power would not exist. It, it not not just the not just the funding that went into the University of Colorado, but the funding from federal sources and even to a lesser extent, state of Colorado sources. Uh, solid power would not exist if it weren't for that funding. I want to make that you know sort of abundantly clear. Um, but one of the things that we in the hard tech community face is that our quote unquote valley of death is much bigger than you know Internet of Things or machine learning or something something like that. I mean we we are a capital a capex intensive uh, company. There's just no way of getting around that. I believe we as a society should be making investments there because if we don't. Um, others will, like uh, China and Europe, which they are. They're investing billions in, in things like battery technology. And I'd certainly hate to see us left behind. And, and what we're finding is that your, your typical Sand Hill Road venture capitalists are increasingly turning their back on things like, like hard tech. And, it's, and I, I see why, because the rates of return are just longer. It takes longer to get their money back. Um, and when they do their IRR calculation, it just makes more sense to go and invest in that, that SaaS company or that IoT company than it does to go invest in that material science company or battery company. And that's perhaps where the public sector could lean in just a little bit more and try to nudge some of these um, technologies a little further down such that the private investment community can pick it up. Just to kind of help people who may not be as familiar with this jargon, uh, Essentially, what you're saying is, you know, apps like Instagram take very little capital, but expand really quickly. And so investors love those apps because they can invest. And like five years later, it's a runaway success and, and they make a billion dollars, blah, blah, blah. 
And there's just no app for batteries. It takes longer. You have to invest capital over years, if not decades. And so it's just, it's less attractive for capital investors to do very hard tech, like you're saying, but it's very important to our economy over time. You nailed it. You nailed it. And, and it's very important on the competitive world stage uh, because, you know, the European Union, China, uh, uh, you know, other countries in Asia are making those huge investments to ensure, in, in particular around battery systems, because they see, um, you know, let, let's look at Germany. I mean, I think something like a third of the GDP comes out of the, the, the transportation industry that, you know, when I heard that, that's mind blowing. And when, you know, if you're a German government official and you're looking at vehicle electrification, you know, you're you're pardon my French, you're having a little bit of an oh shit moment, Uh, just like the executives in the OEMs are are having as well, because suddenly, uh, you know, your your non vertical integration model that you've built, groups like Tesla, you know, are shaking that up. You know, you're, you're ceding so much value to the battery maker. And so now, uh, you know, they're they're basically saying, OK, we can't now all of our value chain is in Asia because today that's where all pretty much the vast majority of batteries are made. How can we change that? We being, in this case, the European Union. Um, and so they're they're investing billions of euros uh, to try to, to establish that that manufacturing infrastructure in Europe. I've never understood why shit is called is referred to as talking French. That's like never made sense to me. But this is a podcast, Doug. You can say whatever you damn well please. Just so we'll you do. Know. We'll do. I do love that you know those numbers because that's why I love talking to entrepreneurs. The markets they are interested in, they are very well researched in the quantity and the scale of the problem they are trying to solve. And if their technology is successful, the number of people who could buy it. So yeah. that is some interesting backstory. So in terms of the challenges to batteries, I think there are a lot of well-talked-about challenges, but there are a couple less well-talked-about challenges. So according to the World Economic Forum, uh, which was one of the better sources I could find on this, but I think there's a lot of research here, batteries do take a lot of energy to build. And in particular, in the World Economic Forum's finding, let's say you build a gas-powered vehicle and an electric-powered vehicle of the same size. The electric vehicle takes roughly double the energy to produce, which means it takes more greenhouse gas emissions to build. And depending upon your electric grid, the cleanliness of it, whether you're charging with solar panels or coal or yada yada, it can take somewhere between 60,000 kilometers and 100,000 kilometers before you break even on carbon emissions. In addition to that, batteries are made of a lot of very exotic materials, lithium, graphite, vanadium, manganese, cobalt, nickel, copper, I don't know if I missed any, but there's a few in there. And there's become more and more question about the supply chain of batteries and how we reduce the emissions of batteries. So firstly, for the the first half of this, does your battery technology represent an opportunity to decrease the energy used in the production of batteries and the recyclability or the lessen the environmental impact of batteries? Uh, Long term, absolutely. Um, in the short term, with our, our first generation product, we're going to be pretty comparable to today's lithium ion, both in terms of uh, energy usage for production, uh, as well as recyclability, which, by the way, recyclability for, for lithium ion is, is dramatically improving every day. So initially, we are going to be no more, no less on both of those metrics. 
Longer term, however, there's a huge amount of potential. The uh, and this this I, you know coincidentally this goes back to the research that was done at the University of Colorado. The 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 technology we ultimately licensed out of the University of Colorado is, is specifically a fairly well I'm going to say exotic. I mean exotic in terms of usage. I mean the opposite of exotic in terms of of the material it is. It's an incredibly earth abundant material. As I used to say, jokingly say, it's cheap as dirt because it's literally dirt. Um, and what material are you referring to? That is an iron disulfide. Um, okay. And so that is a, 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 it can be used. So basically the innovation that the, that the researchers at the University of Colorado demonstrated is that uh, iron disulfide as a cathode material is actually readily used in non-rechargeable uh, primary batteries, but it is not used in, in rechargeables. And, and it's, uh, there's a variety of reasons why that is. I won't get into it, but their research, they were some of the first researchers to show that actually it could be a reversible chemistry, but that it was unique to the solid phase. So when you put it into a solid state system, suddenly you could, you could charge and recharge this material. Um, there are, you know, it does bring along with it some other uh, interesting challenges. Uh, um, you know, it, it expands and contracts quite a bit during charge and discharge. In theory, that's something that, you know, over time you, you should be able to, to kind of solve, etc. Um, but it also has things like a, fair, a very, very unique, it's a low voltage material, very unique uh, voltage profile. And so a lot of our customers really wanted to sort of walk in solid state battery tech. In other words, we'll transition to solid state batteries, but we'd like to see you use a more conventional cathode so that we, you know, we don't have to change all of our battery electronics, you know, same voltage profile, same nominal voltage, that sort of thing. So that particular cathode chemistry is something we continue to work on, um, primarily because it could be profoundly impactful. It is nickel-free, it is cobalt-free, it is earth-abundant materials, it is a mere fraction of the cost of today's industry standard cathode active material, which I should say dominates the cost of lithium-ion. It is the single largest component, uh, expensive I should say, the single most expensive component in your lithium-ion. So if you want to dramatically reduce the cost of lithium-ion cells and therefore electric vehicles, you need to look no further than 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 the cathode active material as the the culprit, um, and this 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 is you know a hundredth if not less the cost. Um, so long term, it it could have a major major impact. And as I said before, um, you know, not using exotic uh, minerals or any or materials or anything of, of that nature. I too have incredibly strong opinions about what material is used in my cathode. Just <laughs> what I talk about at dinner. <laughs> so I guess with that, I know you're very busy and I know you're doing lots of things. You know, you've got a pilot project, I think maybe two now, right? Uh, you mean with uh, customers? Yeah. So like some sort of pilot project. Yes. Yes. Actually, we have more than that, but the oh, two, okay. two of them have, we have publicly disclosed. Okay. Um, but I guess when you look at particularly the emissions and the supply chain and stuff, are you just so busy you don't have time to think about it? Or do you kind of have a timeline of when you think you'd like to decarbonize your supply chain in some way? Well, that's a tough one. Um, and the reason why that's a tough one is, you know, let's not forget we're a 60-person startup. Um, there's only so many sort of problems that, that we can tackle um, at any given time. And right now we're sort of laser focused on maturing this particular product. Um, 
you know, we, that being said, we do, we are starting to spend a lot more time and a lot more, um, uh, effort in, in sort of investigating our, our supply chain. And, you know, what I can say there is, you know, what I have observed is that all of the major players are laser, laser focused on precisely what, you know, what you just stated, um, about, reducing, you know, the energy usage within their, their supply chain. In many cases, this is being mandated by, by governments. You know, some of our partners are, you know, one of our partners is one of the leading manufacturers of of cathode active materials. And they're also a major uh, developer of um, recycling systems um, because, you know, they sort of want that cradle to grave um, process, reducing the energy that goes into that um, and, you know, let's also let's also not forget that, you know, it's not like a battery goes from an electric vehicle straight into a, a recycling process. The nice thing about batteries is they can have second life um, because in, in the battery space, lifetime is, to, is, is defined as 80 percent discharge capacity retention. Well, you've still got 80 percent of the, the capacity left in that battery. Um, there's still a lot of things that battery can do, um, such as going into the going into the grid. Um, so I think it's important to also emphasize that second use of batteries is is equally impactful um, in terms of you know ultimate you know overall lifetime energy usage um, in addition to recycling. I think the fact that you can take the battery out of the car and just put it in your garage and now it's helping you use more solar energy yep. is a real coup de grace to this argument. It's awesome. <laughs> which is actual French, Yep. <laughs> <Enough> shit. <laughs> but I did want to hone in on it because there, I have not seen a single article on advancement in battery technologies without some internet troll commenting, batteries use carbon emissions too. And because we're in the industry of environmentalism, you know, people are asking battery manufacturers the same questions they're asking fossil fuel, ma- fossil fuel producers. Now, I think they're asking it in kind of bad faith because like yourself, the people who start battery country- companies are usually environmentalists. So the goal is clean tech. But exactly. that is a, a concern that just flies across the internet of like, well, electric vehicle owner, didn't you know? And I'm just like, well, yeah. we do. And we take very seriously this life cycle analysis of the battery. So, but... Besides from the battery's emissions, this is something that I personally just do not know that much about, supply chains. So I just got a new iPhone. It's lovely. It's, it's shiny. It's nice. I don't know where all the parts of it come from. And I'm not really in a position to like text Tim Cook and say, hey, where does this component come from? But you are. And so how do you think about some of the sourcing of battery components to make them as ethical and environmentally benign as, po- as possible? Uh, I mean, interesting question. Again, um, little old Doug Campbell at little old solid power. There's only so much I can do. You know, as I said before, right now, the, a lot of what we're using, it's, it's the same lithium. It's the same nickel. It's the same cobalt um, that, that again was, was sourced um, for your, that, you know, for the battery in, in your iPhone. Um, for us, it's, it's very challenging for us to sort of, in addition to creating, you know, this, this new way of moving ions from point A to point B to also make sure we do it with, you know, materials that, that, you know, are more energy efficiently sourced or, or that sort of thing. Um, 
So really, the, the, the only comment I can sort of make is that I'm observing what industry is doing, people many levels above my pay grade, and therefore much more influential than, than myself are indeed focused on this. And it's, and it's not just one or two players, it's, it's the entire industry. And it's something that I've seen that the, the focus has grown more recent. Um, ne didn't necessarily see this five or six years ago, but now you're, you're, seeing, you're seeing it increasingly more and more. And so for Solid Power, our objective is really to kind of just simply leverage that, at least in the short term, perhaps long term, really start to introduce more, um, you know, more materials that can reduce the overall carbon footprint of, of battery systems. Um, but today, it's really just simply leveraging what the rest of the industry is doing. And at least the good news is I'm seeing the industry moving in a big way yeah, in, in, this, in this direction. To go back to my point about how it's a little bit of an unfair question, I do think that people who don't want to see the status quo of how we harvest and use energy change really layer on top of clean tech entrepreneurs these things like supply chain and you know you use carbon emissions too and they're really just not there to have a productive conversation but i did want to just toss the question to you because of the two of us you have more knowledge of supply chains than I do. So I just wanted to see where your mind was on that. Yeah. And I mean, let me put it this way. The supply chain, you know, if you hold up the supply chain in comparison to, for, for a battery, let's just limit it to the battery. And then you hold up the supply chain for the fuel that goes into a gas combustion engine and the entire engine and the entire transportation uh, uh, transmission give me a break. The, the battery's <laughs> going to pale in comparison. So you're absolutely right. That kind of question is a bullshit question. The, the other bullshit question is, well, you're, you're, you're taking electricity from the grid that's made from, from coal. And A, while that might be the case, although it is increasingly less the case, the reason that's a bullshit question is that increasingly you're seeing more renewables. So are you telling me I shouldn't, shouldn't have an EV connected to the grid until we get to 100% renewables? No, of course not, because it takes decades to get a lot of this stuff in place and, and, and get this infrastructure um, and, and get the products out there. So even if you plug into the dirtiest grid, that grid can clean itself up. And if you've got every consumer using an EV, suddenly, you know, all you've got to do is, is clean up the power source, which is, which is happening over time. So there's, there's a lot of bullshit questions out there. <laughs> I'm really glad you just called it bullshit. And I just want to add like one or two points on it, because I think you're right. But for combustion vehicles, they are able to harvest roughly 20% of the energy that comes out of the combustion. Yeah. Electric vehicles harvest <laughs> more like 60%. So you're, as they call it, uh, well to wheel efficiency, even if you're using polluting resources to charge them is better. Uh, and it just always surprises me the amount of money that polluting industries go use to hide their supply chains while also pointing out like clean tech's supply chain flaws. I think that's, I think it's very funny, but anyway, what do I know? I am just a, a lone podcaster in the sea of clean tech. Now I want to move into the last question that I have, and it's really something that I actually do think we might disagree on. And I want to pull it out because it's something I struggle with a lot. So firstly, have you ever read the book World War Z? I have not. Oh, good book. You should check it out. Okay. Very good book. 
Uh, it's basically some sort of fictitious history of a zombie war. Okay. Okay. Humans win. It's great. Oh, you just ruined it for me. I, I'm sorry. Uh, spoiler alert. Spoiler <laughs> alert abound. But what's funny is they compare the way other countries and other peoples dealt with the zombies to Americans. And Americans, in this case, like, invented lasers and heat-seeking missiles. And the fastest way to kill a zombie was, like, a sharp shovel. And they have this quote in there that I love. So that's why I'm saying all this. They say, Americans worship technology. It's an inherent trait in the national zeitgeist. So I want to pull this over to a different industry and then bring it back to batteries. Because this is what the heart of what I wanted to get at. So estimates for the amount of greenhouse gas emissions that come from the production of meat range from 10 to 17%. So of the entire world, 10 to 17% of our greenhouse gas emissions, which we have to get to zero to stop climate change, come from meat production. And in response to this, there's all these new Silicon Valley tech startups that kind of, like I said in the beginning, want meat eaters to stop eating hamburgers and pick up their veggie burgers or their Beyond Meat or their Impossible Burgers and notice no difference. And if they do notice a difference, it's for the better. It's healthier, it's more convenient, it tastes better. Literally, tech CEOs of these companies say, I want a veggie burger to taste better to meat eaters than a meat burger. And there's all of this like money going into it. And I kind of just say, like, what if we just ask people to stop eating meat? <laughs> like, instead of doing this work of trying to invent a new technology that solves a problem, what if we had leadership and social unity and social cohesion around this notion that we need to decarbonize? And then we said, these are the areas. And we're not going to regulate it away, but we, we are going to have a public campaign. As crazy as it sounds, what if like Mitch McConnell, Nancy Pelosi, and Donald Trump came out with their hands together and said, we do meat-free Mondays now. Crazy as it sounds. I know it's ridiculous, but that would be leadership. And it would be leadership that would obfuscate the need for technology innovation. So let's go back to the car for a second. Let's pull it back to exactly where I want to be. In urban real estate, roughly 50% of real estate is devoted to vehicles. There are, in the United States, 1 billion parking spaces, which means for every car, there are four parking spaces. I drive an electric vehicle. It's a very nice little Nissan Leaf. It gets 150 miles of range. It's lovely. I love that car. I sometimes take it on road trips to see my parents. In a gasoline vehicle, it takes about nine hours. In an electric vehicle, it takes me, on average, 18 to 21 hours. That's between charging and, you know, driving, and it's, it's a long time. But as someone who likes electric vehicles, I wanted to do that, so when I talk about it, I know what the reality is of America's current technology and infrastructure. When I listen to people like Elon Musk and yourself, the only problem with that scenario is the battery. If I had a better battery and a better charging network, it's the same. I don't want a better battery. I want a fucking train. Like, I just want an electric train to take me from Denver to Salt Lake. And that's all I want, a high-speed train. And the problem with that is that there are countries on this earth, Japan, who operate high-speed electric trains, which, by the way, have power lines above them. So we could establish a national grid to pipe solar energy from Florida to Kansas, and it would just, like, solve a lot of the problems with renewable energy. So what I'm getting at is... At what point, you're, you're an engineer and you're an entrepreneur, so you think technology has an important role. But at what point do we stop 
putting our future on technology innovation and take off the shelf technology, which many experts say we could use to decarbonize by 2035 using completely existing technology. And we make up the difference between existing technology and where we need to be by social unity and cohesion and a shared sense of sacrifice for a greater good. That was a long one. <laughs> there was a lot in there. Sorry. Well, that's a deep question. Um, well, first off, let me let me start out by saying, unfortunately, what I am not is a behavioral scientist. <laughs> uh, so you're <laughs> kind of a lot in there. Um, yeah. Break it up. Break it up. Yeah. Let, let me start first with your your comment about can't you just tell people to eat less meat? Um, and while the engineer in me says, yeah, right on, the the pragmatist in me says uh, we can't we struggle to get Americans to wear a mask in a pandemic. Oh, we'll uh, come back to that. Oh, I mean, we'll now you're asking that. them to to put their meat down. I mean, you know, <laughs> let me let me answer that in an optimistic way. Uh, there you know, there is such a thing as an American spirit, very, very individualistic, you know, you know, don't don't. Don't tell me how to live my life. Um, and there's elements of, of, of positiveness in that. And it, from my perspective, that's what really gives rise to this very strong entrepreneurial spirit and ecosystem around it that, that allows us to innovate, not just on technologies, but, you know, sort of how we how we interact and, 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 th and communicate with, with one another that I think has been a force for good. So, but again, there's sort of both sides to the coin. I, I guess the way I look at it is that um, there has to be a balance. Uh, you know, to say to all meat eaters, you know, stop eating meat. That's it. We're shutting down all the, you know, meat processing plants and things like that is, is a tough one. That's going to be really tough for, for Americans to accept. Now, that being said, I think that through education, you know, over time, you can, you know, transition, you know, the American population uh, to a less energy intensive diet. Let me put it that way. And so I think as a as a as a stepping stone along that path, I applaud um, technologists that are developing, um, you know, meatless burgers that taste like meat. Why? Because that helps address the pain point of I'm an American I want it. I want my hamburger. Okay, we'll try this one. Well, that actually tastes pretty good. That's that's pretty good, um, because that 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 can have immediate impact, uh, as opposed to, um, you know, we're not a fascist society. We're not going to go out and, and and decree, you know, thou shalt no longer eat meat. Um, not to mention the the, the meat lobby. Uh, <laughs> so any, any let me put it this way: any difficult problem like that. Uh, and you could lump all kinds of things in there. Healthcare, as 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 someone who can who, which I it, you know I, I see in you someone who's very you know thinks of the end goal in mind is very visionary. You just have to realize that that great change can only happen through sort of constant pressure, but kind of at a it, it will happen at a glacial pace at a glacial pace, but you just have to have faith that it will change overnight. I mean, look at electric vehicles. I mean, you know, there's EVs. Well, I don't want to go back into the ancient history, but at least the modern EVs really only go back to the 90s, right? And even now, they're only a few percentage uh, percentage points. I think we're almost at the knee and the curve. Um, but be that as it may, you're talking many, many decades uh, of, of how. And, and, and at the end of the day, all we're doing is just replacing a fuel source. 
we're not even talking about mass transit, which is the other thing you brought up. Um, so I think I think problems like this are worthy of pursuit, but you just have to be patient and you have to realize that that, you know, societal changes take time. They take a lot of pressure, um, you know, constant pressure. Um, but you just have to realize it's it's not going to happen overnight. And then and then to your point about mass transit here, here's here's one where I sure I can I'm I'm uniquely qualified because actually my degrees are in civil engineering. Um, nice. <laughs> to compare us to Japan is a little bit unfair. Much smaller country, much higher population density. The economics of of those trains are are, are way better than um, you know. To use your example, a train between Denver and uh, and um, Salt, Salt Lake, Lake City. At the end of the day, the populations of those of those two cities are quite small in comparison to 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 the population density of a similar length of of line that you would see in Japan. And so it, it just at the end, it, it's just an economic problem. That's really what it comes down to. So if I may ask, so I, I asked kind of a big philosophical question to begin with, but now I want to hone it down to you. Yeah, you're a smart guy. You looked at the landscape in 2012 when solid power was started. And you said, this is one of the most valuable things I can do with my time for the next decade or the next two decades, however long you choose to stay. Hopefully here. just a decade. Hopefully just a decade. <laughs> uh, time is really the most valuable thing that I think brilliant people have. They, they invest time and that's time they cannot get back. How come you chose to try and commercialize a new technology rather than take existing technology and apply it in a novel manner to decarbonization? Well, I guess it's, it's, it's a bit, it's sort of how, A, it's how I'm trained, how I was trained, um, uh, both education as well as, as an industry. And it's also how I'm wired. Um, I just tend to gravitate towards uh, something new, if you will. Um, from a from a technology standpoint, I mean, I'm not, um, you know, this is this is why, you know, I'm not I'm not a I'm not a software guy, um, you know, a new a new a, something like developing a new dating app is just that's just not appealing to me. Um, I assure you, the swipe hellscape <laughs> that I live in, being single, is is not appealing to me either. Right, but I yeah, it's just yeah, it's just not not exciting. It, it, Something like this is 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 what excites me, and really because it's at the intersection of really two innovations. There's both a technology innovation, and there's an industry innovation, um, and that's what that's what got me and continues to get me excited uh, about what we're doing, because you know the industry itself, transportation, is going through transformational change as it pushes towards an electric future. So that's exciting, and at the center of that is a lot of new technologies and 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 what gets me excited from an opportunity standpoint is at that intersection is is blue sky potential that's what gets me excited because it's a blank sheet of paper and and, and therefore you know whoever's got great idea and has a great executable plan can be wildly successful and so that's why i'm doing what i'm doing well, thank you. And I've grilled you enough. And just to be clear, I am I love technology. I read tech blogs. I am here with it. I just sometimes struggle with my own desire for something shiny to solve a problem that I could just do in a different way. <laughs> and I think a lot of people like that. So moving on to just kind of some light stuff to wrap up here. What yeah. are some things that are next for you and for solid power? You mentioned two pilots. Uh, what's that looking like? 
Yeah. So what I'm most excited about is this transition that we're in right now, which is, um, you know, historically we've looked like an R&D company and now we are slowly transitioning into a product company. That's that's what gets me excited. You know, R&D is great, but R&D in of itself doesn't get me super excited. There, there ha- R&D has to be a means to an end. And that's that's precisely the transition we're in. So, you know, we're, we're shipping product today. Um, we're, we're slowly maturing that product. Um, you know, we expect to start um, more formal auto qualification trials. I would say in the coming, you know, within the next 18 to 24 months, I think you can, you can, you can count on seeing some form of an in-vehicle demonstration. That'll be a major, major feather in our cap. Um, and, then, and then beyond that, it's just following the classic path of, of commercialization within the automotive industry. So increasing volume and scale, um, and then, you know, really getting them into vehicles that can show up on dealer lots or not dealer lots. That's another industry that's interesting to watch, you know, <laughs> towards the latter part of this decade. And so a pilot project, does that look like you just like taking a leaf, a Nissan leaf and like putting your battery in and then driving it or like, yeah, like a no, test facility it, it, of some type? Yeah, it, it may not be quite that cut and dry, but I think that's fair enough to say in, in the industry term, they call it a mule vehicle they'll be able to pull a vehicle off a line, whatever, whatever model they think makes sense. And, you know, they can sort of strip out a lot of the innards. We'll then insert our, our battery pack in there and then they can go do driving trials. So do you have one of those cars? Like, is it at your office? No, no, no. That would be, <sighs> that, that would be in the domain of the OEMs that would, and that would be done under uh, typically a, a closed environment. Well, if you ever need a test driver, I just want you to know, <laughs> Very free on the weekends. Very free, this one. You take a number, buddy. You got to get behind me. <laughs> All right. Sounds good. Um, so where can people find you? If they want to get in touch with you, are you on Twitter? Or where's the solid power? You know, email. Where yep. can people find you? Yeah, yeah. So website uh, is a good, good one to start with. Solidpowerbattery.com. Uh, you know, we're on, we're on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. Uh, Doug, uh, at Doug Campbell SP. Um, and then I even have my own uh, personal website where I post a lot of, you know, blog musings and things like that. That's entrepreneurialdysfunction.com. Awesome. I will. I did not know you had a personal blog. That's pretty cool. Check it out. <laughs> I, thought, I thought MySpace killed the blog, but oh, well, here we are. <laughs> All right, Doug. Well, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. I know you're super busy. Uh, and just want to say thank you so much to all the listeners out there for tuning into this podcast. This has been another episode and stay safe out there. Thank you.